Welcome to Hablamos, Conversations on Teaching, Learning and Biomultilingualism, the podcast of the ICME EE project at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. As is mentioned in the name, the main goal of this podcast is to embrace multilingualism. So we are going to have conversation around this topic in the classroom and how teachers can support by a multilingual development. I'm Araceli Lovato and I will be your host. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hi everybody, we have a new episode here for our podcast. Today we have two members of our admin team. So we have here um, Dr. Jessica Masterson, Masterson, and we also have Cindy Linsell here. Say hello to our audience. Hi, everyone. Hey. <laughs> so I was thinking to do the podcast in Spanish because I know that both of you can handle it. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be mean. Though I think that you can handle it. <laughs> So I, as always, we start our podcast um, introducing the guests. So in this case, uh, we have two. So whoever wants to start, go for it. Okay, okay I can go first. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Linzel. Um, by training, I'm a K-12 Spanish and ELL teacher. Um, I love teaching Um, all grade levels. I won't say that I would go back to middle school if I had the opportunity, but I do love teaching <laughs> all grade levels. Um, having said that, though, now that I've started the doctoral program, um, I love, love teaching the undergrads and the pre-service teachers. So um, I definitely have found my passion. I am super excited every time I get to work with them, and I um, can't wait for the next class each week. Cool. My name is Jessica Masterson, and I recently completed the PhD program um, here at UNL in, Yay. <laughs> in language, literacy, and culture. Um, and before that, I was a teacher. I taught seventh and eighth grade language arts in Hawaii. Um, and of course, Hawaii is a very, very different context culturally, linguistically, ethnically than Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, <laughs> But it's been a really, really interesting contrast uh, moving from that educational environment to the Midwest. Um, I've taught under undergrads as well in our program. I've supervised students. And now I'm a postdoctoral research associate uh, with ICMEE. Cool. Very inter mm -hmm. interesting stories. So my question is, what do you brought you here? Like, What brought, uh, what brought you to ICME? Because both of you have a different background totally, but you are in the same research. So can you tell us a little bit? Sure. I think what attracted me to this project is the dedication to practicing teachers. Um, as a practicing teacher, one of the things that I hated the most was going to professional development. Um, simply because <laughs> it was whatever the district said we were doing at the time and we would sit for however long it was and listen to whatever it was and then be expected to implement it. Whether or not we understood what we were supposed to be doing, there was no follow-up, there was really nothing 
um, we had no say in, in the professional development. And the thing that I love about this project is that it respects teachers as professionals. So professionals are coming to these e-workshops and making choices for best practices for their own classrooms. And I think that that is empowering for the teachers. Um, who better knows their students than the teachers in the classroom? So I, I think that this is a great method and a great, um, the content is fantastic, but I think also the fact that the teachers are the ones that are in charge um, makes it extra special. Nice. Um, I think I came to this project because uh, starting out at least, I think the area of linguistically responsive teaching practices was something new for me a bit. Um, I'd done a lot of work in college and in graduate programs in Hawaii thinking about culturally responsive teaching, so thinking about the ways that race, class, gender, and sexuality play out in, in classes in ways that a lot of times teachers aren't aware of. Um, and so that was always kind of in my mind. But, I mean, coming to a place like Lincoln, Nebraska, where, you know, one of our area high schools has over 30 different languages that are spoken, linguistically responsive practices are really just an extension of being culturally responsive. Um, and, and it's been such a wonderful learning experience um, being part of ICMEE both in terms of reading a lot of articles, reading a lot of literature about these linguistically responsive practices, um, but then also conducting work and, and writing papers and meeting with folks and actually putting those ideas into practice. You know that you are not getting paid more because you are doing, you are saying good things about me, you know? Kara, please. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's very interesting though. Um, usually our conversation uh, are focused more on language um, and how I see me, it's focusing on that. But Cindy brought us the professional learning about the e-workshops that Maybe in, in many of our podcasts, we haven't focused on that. So I think it's, it's a really good, good point that you, you mentioned it. And also yeah, what um, Jessica said, it's like our project have, oh, give us the possibility to, to work with the different context, context and culture that um, many teachers maybe are not used to, to work in, in their schools. So. All of, we are all agreed that <laughs> I see me. It's awesome. <laughs> Thumbs up. Hi, I'm Kara Viesca from the International Consortium for Multilingual Excellence in Education Project, the project that is bringing you this podcast. It's a five-year, $2.7 million project funded by the Federal Department of Education's Office for English Language Acquisition. Through this project, we are offering fun, free, flexible, and engaging professional learning opportunities for professional learning communities of educators who want to learn more about working with multilingual students. We have over 30 e-workshops available and are continuously designing more. Our e-workshops are innovative, multimedia online resources that allow for groups of educators to collaborate around important topics related to the education of multilingual students through practice-embedded and inquiry-oriented approaches. To see if our e-workshops might be right for you or educators you work with, please visit our website. We're on the College of Education and Human Sciences website at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So it's cehs.unl.edu 
backslash I-C-M-E-E. Thanks so much and enjoy. So since I'm tired of always being the one who talk, <laughs> now we are going to change the roles. So uh, our guests are going to interview themselves. So go for it. Let's see what they can offer us. I also just think this is really a nice opportunity because Cindy and I have worked together for a few years now, but I still know very little about you and, and your upbringing and background. So a question that I've always wondered um, is how you came to learn Spanish, how that began for you, how you refi refined your practice, and the ways in which you use it today. Sure. Um, well, I, I, I'm one of the um, strange kids who, in high school, fell in love with a language as a ninth grader. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, was sitting in Spanish class um, in a small town in Ohio and literally fell in love with the language. Um, we had to have two, at the time, we had to have two years of language to, um, to graduate from high school to be college prep, uh, prep. And I continued all four years and my friends thought I was crazy. And mm -hmm. they, when I said I was taking years three and four, seriously, everyone thought, what the heck? <laughs> Why are you doing this? But I saw it as more than a language because I've always been fascinated with people and understanding people. And in order to understand and truly learn a language, you have to understand the culture and the people who are speaking that language. And I couldn't get enough. And so um, when I went to, I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, um, another landlocked area with no other <laughs> languages, but still yet I proceeded to continue with my Spanish study. Um, and I was um, fortunate enough to have some amazing language professors um, at the university who just continued to encourage me um, to grow and learn and um, understand more about, about this language that I loved so much. Um, so then my junior year, I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity, and I studied abroad in Valencia, Spain for a semester, and I don't think that I ever um, thought of myself as a Spanish speaker until I lived there for that semester, and f something clicked, and I thought, okay, I, I speak Spanish now. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that that was a really interesting a revelation for me at the time, um, and I've continued to use it. I graduated um, um, from college with an international studies in Spanish double major, and I went and worked for a finance company for two years as a bilingual supervisor. Well, it turns out I am not a business person <laughs> at all, which I should have known from the very beginning. Um, in fact, when I told my, my parents I was going back to school to get certified to teach. My mom said, well, it's about time you realized you were a teacher because we all knew that all along. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thus began my, my language um, instruction as well, and it's just continued um, ever since. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good story. <laughs> 
So I know that you say that you're not a Spanish speaker, and, but your, your, your background looks like you should indeed be. So what does, <laughs> what does that mean for you? Yeah, uh, I don't have to work. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, when I say I'm not a Spanish speaker, I think mainly I, I, I can't claim really like any sort of fluency at this point, which, um, yeah, is definitely, I think, a chip on my shoulder. But um, I like to say, as I said before we started recording, that <laughs> there are um, historical reasons why I don't speak Spanish. Um, so my mom is um, Chicana. She's Mexican-American. Um, she was born in Texas, but her she and her seven siblings were raised primarily in California, um, the Central Valley. They were uh, migrant workers. Um, yeah, she has stories of collecting barrels of strawberries for like five cents a barrel or something like that. Um, and she's been doing that since, or she had been doing that since she was very, very young. Anyway, so she and her seven siblings grew up and um, really only spoke Spanish in the home. Her parents only spoke Spanish. And then, um, you know, in California and the... 50s and 60s, we can trace legislation, we can trace um, just general anti-immigrant sentiment, and um, also it was a policy in her school and certainly lots of other schools like it um, to speak English only. Mm -hmm. And so when she would try to communicate with her friends or with her siblings, um, they actually used corporal punishment, her <laughs> wrists were slapped. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. So that was her upbringing. She's the youngest of seven, and it was even more stringent for her older siblings. And so I have something like 24 first cousins, and none of us speak Spanish. Um, it was, I think, seen as a liability for my mom and certainly her siblings to speak Spanish, a, you know, an obvious marker of difference that disadvantaged you. So um, it took a lot of, like, kind of unlearning that internalized racism and linguicism, I think, um, for, for her to embrace language, and it took a long time for me as well to embrace that. So I didn't start learning Spanish until I was in college, and, you know, I took a few, like, cursory classes, definitely, like, learned a lot, but not enough, um, and I've, I've attempted here and there to learn more as I've gotten older. And I know part of it is, um, you know, just really being vulnerable, right? That's part of learning a language, like putting yourself in a position that's maybe uncomfortable and being okay with making mistakes. Um, and that's part, again, of learning language for anybody. I think there's like an added difficulty for me because every time I engage in Spanish, like I'm very aware of like the history that has in some senses, like, taken that away from me. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I'm in airports or on sidewalks and people engage me in Spanish, as happens sometimes, um, you know, there's always this moment of, yeah, you're recognizing me correctly. Like, you see me as someone who, who should speak Spanish, but I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, that's a really common experience throughout my life. Um, yeah. And that's the exact opposite for me. People look at me and say, wow, you speak Spanish. <laughs> and I think that really speaks to so much of our culture, right? Where for me, it's embraced. Wow, you speak two languages. But then for these, for so many people, it's looked at as a, as a, a deficit. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's not a good thing. It's, you know, and so, um, and I agree with you when you put yourself out there it's it's scary. <laughs> it's really scary, and I've never used my Spanish professionally, as in 
um, instruct, well, that's not true. So I, I've taught Spanish in Spanish, but those are different kinds of situations. And now that I am working in a whole other forum um, and trying to learn the language in Spanish of the things that I'm now doing, mm -hmm. it does, it's, it's really difficult mm -hmm. and it, it's very stressful and, and you, you have to embrace that and I'll be the first to say it uh, I don't embrace it sometimes oh. because it's it stresses me out <laughs> a lot but I'm trying to push through all of that right. so that I can continue to grow and learn in my language in this other language oh. so yeah and actually that's I, I really like that you make the distinction like the two of you are they have you have like different point of view and different perspective but um, because of your back background, obviously. But, you know, that happens a lot in our schools here. So one of the things that I like with the podcast is, like, when I interview people, professors, sorry, um, oh, yeah, there are people, too. <laughs> people, too. <laughs> um, I, always, I always like to ask them, like, what they would like uh, teachers know about um what they can do to improve the students life in in many of like because i see me literally um focus on improve the the life let's say that let's call it that, that way um the life of of many bilingual or multilingual kids so these teachers take our e-workshop so they can improve their teaching skills so what do you think that uh, with your personal stories, um, what do you think that it would be a good advice or something that teachers could take from this podcast so they can improve their their teaching skills with that, this kind of students? I think for me, the most important thing is to understand who you are, who the teacher is as a cultural being in order to embrace and understand your students' cultural beings, as mm -hmm. cultural beings. Um, I don't think that you can be a great teacher until you know who you are. Um, who are you as a cultural being? What, what do you bring to the table that is going to help you in your teaching practice? But also, are there things from your upbringing that maybe you need to learn to shed because they're not going to help you in your in your classroom practices. Um, we go into teaching learning methodologies and, and um, what the research says and all of these things, but when it gets right down to it, you're the person in the room. And who are you and how are you going to react to your, your, your beautiful children who are in front of you in your classroom um, in order to embrace them and give them the best learning experiences as, po as possible. Nice. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Hard to follow that. <laughs> Sorry, Jessica. <laughs> well, I mean, building on this idea of, like, know thyself, right? Mm -hmm. I think something really important to recognize for, for all teachers, all people who work in education, is that there is no such thing as neutral. I think a lot of times, especially new teachers, think that kind of towing the line and kind of rounding up or down, depending on your view, like just to like an English only kind of heteronormative, um, white, middle class, patriarchal 
curriculum is being neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, right? Uh, the choices that you make, the things that you include in the curriculum, the things you don't include in the curriculum, the things that you choose to enact pedagogically or not to, those are all very political choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that awareness is really important. The other thing I might add, and this is backed up by research that Cindy and I conducted this summer, um, one of the predictors of effectiveness for teachers working with multilingual learners is whether the teacher is actively learning a new language themselves. Mm -hmm. Like going through the process of learning a new language, Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, and it makes sense to me, right? Again, going back to that piece about vulnerability Mm -hmm. and realizing how difficult it is when you don't know the words that are coming out of someone's and mouth. how taxing it is on your brain. Totally. And how, exhausting. And physically it's exhausting as well. Absolutely. Yes, and the frustration levels go up so quickly. And Right. I mean, know. so I think that's something, not certainly not simple, but something that all, that is maybe accessible in our Internet age, right? Attempt to pick up a new language. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that you'll be filled with the humility <laughs> <laughs> that that might be a good starting point when you think about working with multilingual learners. Yeah, it's and never even, too late. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. It's never too late, but even having your students in your classroom teach you Absolutely. things in their language because mm-hmm. um, even here in, in Lincoln, so many of our classrooms have multiple languages. Well, yeah. what a better place. What better place could you find than to learn how to say different phrases in multiple languages? And you become the student, and your te- your your students are the teacher. I mean, that's very empowering yes. and, and and very much embracing for them. Yeah, absolutely. So, would you like to? I know that we could keep this conversation for like another hour, thirty minutes. <laughs> um, would you like to add something else to our conversation or? I think the only thing that I would add is to, um, as teachers, we definitely need to embrace being learners forever. Mm-hmm. The The idea of, of once you become a teacher, you know it all, is we all know not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so embrace the fact that you are a lifelong learner. Um, and and love that and and enjoy that and and grow in that in your in your practice so that um, you're always um, able to empathize with your students and understand their point of view a little bit better absolutely anything else (laughs) (laughs) it's okay i think (laughs) then you should have the last word here that's great So thank you so much for sharing your experience and your point of view. I know that this can be a a little bit intimated. (laughs) Our our audience cannot see this, but we have microphones and this looks like professional even. So So thank you so much for being here and I hope you like the conversation. Thank you.